welcome to a special edition of Between the Headphones on Enemy Bylines, the in-season preview podcast. I'm Owen Warden, your host for this podcast series where I'll talk with sports editors from Georgia football's upcoming opponents. This week, I'll speak with Jackson Reyes, sports editor for The Alligator, who rejoins the show to discuss Florida's season thus far and preview this team's matchup with Georgia. Welcome back to another episode of the in-season Behind Enemy Bylines podcast. Today, Jackson Reyes returns once again to talk about one of the greatest rivalries in the SEC, if not college football. But before we can get into any of that, Jackson, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Again, thank you for uh, having me back. You know, it was a great time recording the oh, preseason absolutely. podcast. So, um, you know, you know, it's be been a very back. interesting season for both teams so far, especially Florida. Uh, very, very interesting season so far. So go ahead and walk me through it. What has been the season been like so far? What are some of the big games, key moments of this season so far for Florida coming into this game? Yeah, so, you know, trying to quickly, briefly walk over Florida or walk through Florida season so far. You know, you open the season, they go to Utah uh, against a, a really good Utes team, and they, they fall on the road. The offense didn't look great. Um, defense gave, gave up a couple big plays, but uh, <clears throat> overall just looked a little flat on the road. But as I mentioned, that's a very talented Utah team. So start the season 0-1. Uh, things are not looking great, but then, you know, pick up a win against McNeese State, and then that's when, you know, Florida season really turns around is when Tennessee comes to town. Uh, at the time, Tennessee was 11th in the country. Uh, Billy Napier was still looking for that first, you know, signature uh, AP Top 25 conference victory, uh, you know, win against a rival, which he had still not been able to do, do yet. And, you know, Florida looked great. They had a massive second quarter where they scored 20 points, forced an interception against Joe Melton, uh, were firing on all cylinders. And, you know, that was the loudest I had heard the Swamp, uh, you know, in a while. And uh, a huge win for me. And then talking about carrying that momentum, uh, you know, they win their next game against Charlotte in a little lackluster fashion, go on the road against Kentucky. Uh, Florida makes it back into the AP Top 25 for the first time in about a year. Uh, things are looking back on the up, and then their road struggles continue. Uh, Kentucky's running back Ray Davis absolutely torches them. I believe he had more than 300 yards. If not him, the team combined for around 330 rushing yards. Uh, ran all over Florida. Um, the, the score makes it look closer than it really was. Uh, so that was a little deflating. But then, you know, next two weeks, they, they, they pick up a good win against Vanderbilt, beat them 38-14, you know, just really solid win against a team that they should beat. Uh, and then, you know, looking past before, right before the bye week, you know, Florida, they're still trying to answer that question of can they win a game on the road, uh, which is another thing that Billy Napier had kind of struggled with so far in his tenure in Florida. And, they go down 10 points in the fourth quarter. It's looking like it's over. And then, you know, Graham Mertz, probably his best game of the season, shows some resiliency, uh, leads, you know, touchdown drive to cut it to three. Defense gets a stop. And then, uh, you know, some fourth down conversion, some luck with a, a pass that gets tipped to another receiver. And then Mertz finds Pierce off for the game-winning touchdown. So Florida carrying some movements. I'm going into this matchup against Georgia, 5-2, and 3-1 and one in the SEC. and. You know, I don't think anybody would expect Florida to be in a position where, you know, on paper they control their own destiny, uh, you know, looking at the, the, the conference path. No, definitely. It's been a very interesting season for Florida. I mean, yeah, it, it's I mean, you absolutely have to look at the, that Kentucky matchup and look at, you know, Ray Davis running for 280 yards, three touchdowns, plus another one through the air. But 
again, a hard-fought win against a, a, a South Carolina team that was still at home, so, you know, still battling that out and, and a little f- finding ways to be resilient I think is a good way to, to kind of talk about this Florida team and the way they've played football so far this year, especially that Tennessee win. That's a massive Tennessee win, um, you know, and, and sure, maybe Joe Milton isn't the same level of quarterback that we've seen in previous years, but still, still a well-coached team. It's still a good team, so... Florida's definitely got the ability to beat good teams and be a good team. So very curious how uh, that will kind of impact this matchup in their season going forward. But you mentioned Graham Mertz there, and, and Graham Mertz is a very polarizing player. He's a very interesting player. What would you kind of say of his season so far? How would you describe him as a quarterback, and has he kind of lived up to the season expectations you had or, or maybe other people had for him? I know you were a little bit higher on him than most. Yeah, I'd say for my personal expectations, just the way I talked about him when we recorded the preseason podcast, I'd say he's been right around where I kind of talked about him. Just, you know, a good game manager, has, protects the ball, doesn't turn the ball over, um, doesn't necessarily push the ball down the field as much as you'd like to, but still a very solid quarterback. And in terms of the overall perception of him, I think he's definitely exceeded expectations. I don't think there's any question about that. Um so many preseason power rankings of like SEC quarterbacks put him towards the bottom. Some even had him as the last ranked quarterback in the SEC. And, you know, as we've seen now is he slowly just like bolted up those rankings every single week. And, you know, looking at the stats, obviously the, the, the completion percentage really stands out. Um, he's just been so accurate, <clears throat> you know, more accurate than he ever was at Wisconsin. And with the number was at, 80% at one point before the, the before the South Carolina game. Um, so he's been great there. Uh, like I mentioned, great at protecting the ball in two interceptions. Um, I will say, you know, obviously the biggest critique of him so far this season is just the, the average depth of target. But, you know, some of that is on him. You know, sometimes there are routes where receivers are open downfield and he's not pushing it. He's holding onto the ball too long. But I, I do think some of that is just – to the nature of Billy Napier's offensive scheme. And, you know, he wants to get the running backs involved in screen passes. He wants to have his playmakers, you know, on these bubble screens and, you know, plays that are at the line of scrimmage and seeing what they can do. You know, obviously not every single time uh, it's on Napier. There are times, like I said, it's Mertz needing to just push the ball down the field like he did against South Carolina. But I don't think that the average depth of target is completely just on Mertz. I think it's more so a mix of that and the offensive scheme he's playing in. Yeah, and I think I think the biggest thing, I mean, you look at the completion percentage, you also look at just two interceptions on the year. You know, very kept it very conservative and 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 a certain point that can win you football games and it has for Florida so far this year and the fact that they're they are winning, you know, that's that's something that, you know, you didn't fully expect with a guy like him and he certainly has not been at the bottom. I think we've seen a lot of other quarterbacks play a lot worse than him. Um and a lot of them are guys that we were kind of expecting to perform a lot better than him going into the year. So yeah, I think he's been good. I don't think he's a great quarterback at this point, just because he's not—he doesn't push the ball down the field necessarily. I don't—I don't love how he necessarily reads the ball. But as far as what I was expecting out of him coming into the year, definitely a little bit above my expectations. But you know, I do think that that being sacked 19 times—I know the offensive line is not great, but I do think few of those might be on him. Yeah, I agree. And you know, he's someone he's gonna—he's gonna be you know tough, as they say, and like you know, really hold on to the ball, but. Again, that comes back to Biden where he is holding on the ball a little too long. You'd like to see him get it out or, you know, just throw the ball away a little bit more. But, you know, that that's just something that hopefully progresses with uh, with five games left in the season. 
Yeah, definitely. But, you know, around him is a very interesting offense. You know, it's a very impressive running attack and, you know, a very interesting wide receiver group full of guys that kind of rotate in with one guy at the top. So, you know, Jackson, go ahead and just run me through. What is this Florida offense like? Who's some of the key pieces on this group? And, you know, who who should we be looking out for on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I just want to quickly talk about the running backs because I, I don't have too much to say about them. Uh, just they're two very talented guys, ETN and, you know, Montreal Johnson. Uh, they have the ability to make big plays. We've seen that. We saw that against Tennessee with Trevor ETN had, I believe, a 60-yard run in that game where kind of broke it open. Um, but it's more so of the same of just last season where, you know, they're just two very talented dudes, two of the best running backs in the SEC. Um I have nothing really much to add to that in terms of the progress they've made to this season. Uh, but looking around, looking at the, the, the pass catchers, um, Ricky Pearsall was a guy who I tabbed as someone who was going to make a leap this year, and, you know, he's been doing just that. Uh, he's had one of the better seasons of wide receivers in the SEC. Obviously, you know, guys like Luther Bird and Malik Neighbors, uh, obviously Brock Bowers, tight end, uh, are the pass catchers that are going to demand a lot of the headlines and, for obvious reasons, they are extremely talented and they're showing that. But like, I think Ricky Pearsall is a guy who's been having a very great season. You know, he's on pace to break all of his career highs in college so far, and they're only seven games into the season. Um, he's been so reliable for Florida, um, just being that guy, just throwing it up. And he's a guy who's able to go up and grab it. Uh, you know, he had that one catch against Charlotte, which uh, I'm sure you've seen where he kind of just like, almost as the Jumpman logo, like sticking his arm up and then hangs onto the ball with two defenders drilling him. So, you know, he's been just a real security blanket for Florida and has been a really talented receiver who, you know, I could see getting some uh, NFL buzz as the, the season concludes. And, um, you know, looking elsewhere, looking at some of the freshmen, uh, two guys I want to mention are, you know, Trey Wilson, He's a four-star wide receiver coming out of high school, and he's been, you know, just a delight to watch. He's so fun. He's electric. Uh, you know, Billy Napier has mentioned several times where, you know, part of the game plan is just trying to get this guy the ball however they can. It's a screen pass, end around, you know, trying to run him on a go route. Just can we get him the ball and let's see if he can do something because he just has that ability uh, to get around receiver or get around defenders. And uh, he's so quick, um, even as a freshman. And, you know, I think he's already been such a big part of this offense. So it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, he blossoms as he uh, progresses in his youth career. And then uh, another guy I wanted to mention was uh, tight end Arliss Boardingham. Um, he was another guy who I was pretty high on in the preseason, just watching him in spring and fall camp. And he didn't make that much of an impact the first couple games, but, you know, the past two against Vanderbilt and South Carolina, he's been, you know, really solidified himself as the tight end one here at UF, where that was kind of a open position for who the starter would be. And he's made some big plays for Florida, you know, in that South Carolina game, it was uh, Florida had a fourth and 12 at midfield. Mertz had no one downfield, so he had to check it down to, to Arliss Boardingham at the line of scrimmage. And, you know, he has to make a play. He has to get 12 yards and, you know, he works through some defenders, makes a nice move and he gets the first down. So, it's it's plays like that where you know he's been he's becoming a real red zone target for for Grammers. I believe he has four touchdown catches on the year so far, um, and that's even with limited playing time. So I, I think he's a guy who's also been a major impact for the Gators offense. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, Fordingham 
I believe, leads the team in touchdowns with four, yes. which is incredible. I mean, Ricky Pearsall right behind him. So clearly, Boardingham making a big time impact is just one of those reliable red zone threats. You know, just a big body dude that's been been able to, you know, be impactful. But again, I think Ricky Pearsall. You know, you say he's going to keep getting it. I think he's already getting NFL buzz, and I don't think, you know, not at the rate that guys like Malik Neighbors are getting right from LSU. Um, because that dude's getting, you know, top 10, top 15, even like, uh, I, I wouldn't say top five, but if, if the draft works out a certain way, maybe he, he gets picked that high. But I mean, that's, that's like someone that's like definitely a focal option of a team, but Ricky Pearsall is clearly a, a solid contributor and someone that can, has been a, a great contributor for this Florida team. And I think we'll be able to contribute at the next level. So definitely someone that Georgia needs to keep an eye on, but that running back room is, is still really effective. Uh, it's a it's a good one-two punch between the two of them. Both of them can do different things, and both can, can do it at a high level. So it's definitely a strong it's definitely a strong group in my eyes. Oh yeah, I I agree, and I will say some of that progress in terms of the running back room of not making that jump isn't necessarily on them too. I would say it's more so on the offensive line taking a little bit of a step back, and you know obviously they are still able to make these big plays, but so much of the consistent down to down running, especially in tough road environments, is based on the play of the offensive line around them so yeah and it's it's been rough for the offensive line this year I know you guys got what two transfers on the right side uh and um you know just kind of working through that and stuff like that trying to figure out that group especially after losing such a big piece in Osiris Torrance during the offseason but you know I, I know you guys are, are working through it. and at some point feels like uh Billy Napier will figure that that offensive line especially you know with with his staff around him um feels like eventually that'll get figured out but for right now it's been a little rough and I think the Dolphins has been feeling it yeah I agree it's it's definitely one of those things where you know based on the guy he's brought in would like Torrance uh you know I trust his evaluation with the offensive line I, I trust they'll bring in the right guys to build a strong line but obviously we've seen some growing pain so far with with some of the guys who've been playing yeah and and, and you know, we'll see where if they can develop and grow, or maybe if it just needs to be a next year problem to to fix that up. But we've talked a lot about the offense. Let's shift over to the defense because it's definitely interesting. Talk me through it. What are some of the who are the, some of the key players on that defense, and how have they kind of performed this year? Yeah, so looking at the defensive side of ball under you know first year defensive coordinator Austin Armstrong, you know they've taken a, a pretty big leap in just how they performed last season. The last season struggled so much against opponents to stop the ball and. You know, now I believe they're top 10 in uh, third down conversion rate uh, defensively. Um, and they've struggled a little bit against some SEC opponents like South Carolina, like Kentucky. But for the most part, this is a team we've seen improved immensely, both in the run and the pass defense. Um, and so just talking about some guys, you know, looking at Prince Uman Mielin, uh the edge rusher, you know, he decided to come back for uh, another season. And, you know, he's been great. Obviously, you know, you look at the, the stats, the – on paper, maybe not the best, like three sacks, six tackles for loss, and you expect to win like – or you expect a guy like him to have a little bit more. But then you look at the the pass rush win rate, uh, and it's, I believe, top of the conference, like one of the top in, in all the country. Uh, not number one, but, you know, it's definitely up there, and he's having so much success. It's just, you know, a matter of can he get home. But even then, I think he's causing enough chaos to where he's still – pressuring quarterbacks and being a very solid and talented pass rusher. And then, you know, looking at this defense, uh, it's one that's relied on a lot of freshmen. Another guy I'll mention, Jordan Castell, uh, freshman, true freshman safety, started game one. He started every game since, and 
uh, he's looked great. You know, he is not, uh, he stood up to the challenge. He's been ready. And even against very talented teams offensively like Tennessee, uh, he's been able to hold his own. And, you know, he, I believe in that Tennessee game, led the team with, I think, 13, 14 tackles. And, you know, he's just been very consistent uh, game in and game out, game out. And, you know, that's something that, as a freshman, if he can continue that and then build on that for seasons to come, he's another guy who can be a real, you know, cornerstone for this Florida defense. Um, and then looking at some other guys, another guy who I mentioned could be an impact player in the preseason who's really turned into a solid guy is Cam Jackson, uh, transfer defensive tackle from Memphis. And he's been great. He's been great plugging up the middle, uh, being a good run stopper. Uh, I've been really impressed with his play. Um, just mentioning a few other guys, I've been really impressed with Scooby Williams, linebacker, who, you know, hasn't really uh, stood out in the past. Um, and he was someone who I wanted to just because that name is so awesome. I mean, his name's Scooby Williams. Uh, and him and Shamar James have turned into a, a pretty solid linebacker duo. Um, so I've been impressed with their play as well. So, but, you know, those are some names that I think have really helped turn this Florida defense around where. Obviously, they're not exactly where they want to be yet, or the the Florida defenses of old of maybe like the early 2010s that they're much champ. But I think this year is a, a step in the right direction of, you know, some of the teams the past few years. Definitely, and you know, Shamar James is feels like a guy that's all over the field. I know you got, I know he's one of the guys leading you guys in tackles, and he's a really talented player. He's a guy that I've been really impressed with, and you know, it just feels kind of like that that front seven of Florida has really come together pretty well, and. You know, I know I know the run stopping is a little bit rough at times, mostly especially that Kentucky game. But you know, it's a very interesting team. I know you guys are three in pass defense, so you know guys like Jason Marshall, Jalen Kimber, you know, and guys like like freshman Jordan Castell have played well, especially because you know a guy we talked a lot about, Kamari Wilson, just hasn't been on the field at all this year, and that's been an interesting thing. Yeah, that was uh, that was a pretty interesting uh, saga that was going on with that. Um when they were playing Charlotte, you know, that game in the press box is when, you know, he was spotted just not out warming up with the safety group. And honestly, that whole thing of then he was spot on the sideline. He was asked to leave the sideline. Uh, and then Napier kind of interested as he wasn't a part of the travel squad. And I guess he has not been a part of the travel squad since because uh, I, I haven't seen him on the depth chart listed in, in any weeks since that game. So uh, been pretty interesting, but, you know, Looking at the other guys who I didn't necessarily talk about because I thought Kamari would take that lead, but uh, he hasn't so far. But, you know, obviously I already mentioned Castell. Bryce Thornton has looked uh, decent in some chances he's gotten. Uh, Miguel Mitchell, the other safety, has looked decent. Um, and then, as you mentioned, Jalen Kimber, he's also been great. You know, he, he battled with a couple injuries last season. You know, he played – I remember he had the, a pick six against South Florida last season. They think he did that with a broken hand, like with a cast on uh, so, you know, him being healthy, I think he's been a really solid piece for this team. Uh, and as you mentioned, that front seven, just a lot of guys who, are, this is their first time getting real playing time, like Shamar, like Scooby, uh, Caleb Banks, another transfer from Louisville. Uh, he's looked really solid. So, you know, a lot of pieces who getting their first real playing time and they're showing that this can be a really solid foundation for Florida for next couple seasons. Definitely. Um, and we've talked about a lot of players that have been really fun, but let's let's get one. Let's get the top one. Who's been your favorite player to watch and or cover this year? Ooh, that's tough. I, I I think I have to go 
Trey Wilson's up there just because of he's he's pretty electric, but I think I have to go Ricky Pearsall. Uh, I I think he he brings that kind of just you know just the way he carries himself in media and just on the sideline things like that is he's he's just a very easy player to root for if you're you know watching as a fan and you know getting to cover him he's just so talented and you know so many plays where like if it was fourth and ten in the South Carolina game. Graham Mertz sees him one-on-one and just throws it up, and he just goes up and grabs it. And getting that game-winning touchdown, just the way he's able to go up, you know, anytime, and he feels like no one's stopping him. And, you know, obviously you want, like, every every football player probably has that confidence in them, but it's like with him it just feels a little different. Um, so I, I think I have to go Ricky Pearsall. Yeah, I can't blame you on that one. I remember – being at SEC Media Days and seeing like his shoes and like the the whole fit he had on and just like he, he was he was kind of just electric to be around and I was like okay yeah this is a guy this is a, this is someone to keep an eye on and I knew when we were going into the summer uh, preseason like preview I was like I needed to bring up him because I'm like there's he's gonna do something this year no way no way you show up with like black like and with like spikes. Uh, like on your dress shoes and like a like a like a one-piece suit like no way you show up with that like all blacked out like no way you show up like that to SEC media days and you're not about to have a pretty solid season exactly. so you know I'm not too surprised by his success yeah and then even looking at last year I believe he had around 660 receiving yards and you know looking at what he's done so far he has a chance to break that which would be his uh, new career high against Georgia. Obviously, you know, we'll talk about that, but Georgia's a very talented secondary, but with a guy like Pearsall, like, he can get to 50 receiving yards in one game, you know, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out, though. No, I, I could definitely see it. 50 is definitely attainable, um, but, you know, can, we, we've talked about guys that have really been playing really well, but other than maybe maybe Kamara, who just hasn't been on the field, who who is a player that has been on the field that's just kind of fallen short of your expectations, fallen short of what you thought they could do this year? Yeah, I'll say um, probably the top guy who's disappointed me a little bit is just Jason Marshall Jr. Um, obviously, Florida's as a whole has improved a lot in uh, defending the past, but I think he's a guy who still has just not taken that leap that I expected from him. Um, you know, with that rating come out of high school being a five-star and uh, has – played for so many years, started so many games for Florida. And he just still kind of just seems to be missing that extra piece. He's still getting picked on a little bit by quarterbacks and wide receivers. And uh, I saw that in Tennessee game, he got picked on quite a bit. And against Vanderbilt, he gave up that one. If it was uh, – he kind of got his, like, helmet, like, pulled a little bit. So he, like, stopped to, like, call for, like, a face mask or, like, looked around to see if there'd be a flag for a face mask. And because of that, the Vanderbilt receiver got some space, caught the ball, and Jason Marshall kind of, you know, whether or not you want to say that there should have been a face mask there, he still just kind of gave up on the play and gave up a 70-yard touchdown pass. So it's plays like that and just, you know, his performance in the season as a whole, which, you know, has been a little disappointing. I won't say he's been necessarily just bad, but as a guy who should be the the cornerback one or is starting as the cornerback one, you just you'd wish you'd see a little bit more out of him. Yeah, I, I can't blame you, and that's someone that, as a CB1, I kind of expected to take a jump, you know, to finally have that that third year where he really kind of establishes himself as a guy, because on paper, it feels like he's got a lot of the things that you like. He's got the size, he's got the speed, he's 
it, it feels like there's a lot of stuff there, but he just hasn't put it together yet. And I feel like the success of guys like uh, like Jalen Kimber and, and the safeties for Florida have kind of hidden his performance a little bit from from at least the public eye. But you know, I think I think there is another step that Jason Marshall needs to take, especially as a guy that is an NFL hopeful. I agree. And, you know, even guys behind him right now, like freshman Jakeem Jackson, you know, he's been pretty solid in smiling. Devin Moore and other guys. So, you know, there's, there's talent behind him, And I don't know how much further Jason Marshall can go without taking the sleep before, you know, he has to worry about playing time. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, we've talked enough about Florida. We've given, we've given the run around. So let's hop into this matchup. What are your thoughts of the matchup against Georgia, you know, how do these two teams really pair up, and and what are your just current opinions of the Georgia Bulldogs as a team? Yeah, looking at the Georgia Bulldogs uh, of this year, uh, still just an extremely talented team, very good team. I, I know it's not necessarily the same kind of dominance of the past two years, uh, but still a team that on paper should go undefeated, you know, going into or at least for the regular season. Um, the, the loss of Brock Bowers hurts the offense a little bit, but this team still has so many weapons all across the field, a very efficient running game, a very talented defense. So, you know, looking at this matchup, um, I think it could be, you know, it has the chance to be a little closer than it was last year and maybe a little closer than it has been in recent memory. But I, I still think it's going to be one where if Florida's not playing, you know, to the best of its ability, you know, not making a single mistake, then I think they, they'll, they'll be in trouble. and It'll be a tough matchup for them. So, you know, look at this Bulldogs team, you know, they're still the number one team in the country. They're still undefeated. They've still had some dominant wins. Uh, so I think it'll be tough for Florida come Saturday. Yeah, I, I think, I think so. It's, I think it's going to be a tough matchup for them. Um, just simply for the fact that Georgia just does a lot of things. Well, you know, I mean, you look back at what like Dejon Edwards been, has been able to do against teams and, and run for 140 yards. Not a Ray Davis level performance, but definitely a performance that puts Georgia in the way of winning. And they've got a million receivers that do a whole lot of things and, you know, plenty of highly four star tight ends to make up for the loss of Rock Bauer. So it's just one of those things that it's like one guy goes down, another guy steps up, you know, but ultimately let's get a little analytical here. In your in your kind of breakdown, is there anything that you think that Florida might be able to take advantage of over Georgia that and maybe any weakness that you've spotted, you know, in your in your digging and your in your analytical approach? Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is like the a, a lazy answer, but you know, not necessarily, and that's not because you know I wasn't looking, but you know, the way they match up, I I feel like Georgia just kind of has the advantage in almost every facet, but I, I will say the one area Florida could really maybe take advantage of is, you know, if the, the run defense can hold up just a little bit um, and force, you know, Carson Beck to throw the ball some more. And obviously I think he's a good quarterback and they still have talented receivers uh, like Ladd McConkey and, you know, Dominic Lovett, uh, just to name a few, but uh, looking at how Florida's pass defense is played is if guys like, if, if they can force Georgia to pass the ball and guys like Princely can get home and guys like Cam Jackson, uh, Caleb Banks can provide pressure, um, then I think that's the one area where they can try and make this a game and give themselves a chance to win. I'm not saying they will do that or if it'll be easy, but I think that they will have a chance to do that um, and make it a game. Yeah, I think I definitely think that's their path to victory is to try and you know get Georgia to have to throw because I think that's what what Florida does the best is being able to you know defend the pass and if if they can force Georgia to have to attack their safety group, have to attack 
you know, a former Bulldog in Jalen Kimber and have to try and test Jason Marshall and stuff like that. If they have to do that, then I think, you know, Florida's got a, a I think that's Florida's path to winning. But speaking of winning, speaking of losing even, let's get a score prediction. Let's break it down. Jackson, let's let's get the score prediction. Who wins, who loses, and based on that impact, what's kind of the impact for uh, for Florida the rest of the year? Yeah, so looking at this game, um, I know some people have said, like, Steve's for example, Florida's a chance to win or could be closer. And I do think it'll be closer than last season, but I still think the Georgia Bulldogs are – you know, they're the number one team for a reason, like I said. I, I still think they they come away with the victory in this game. Um, in terms of a final score, uh, I'll probably say – I'll go 31-17 Georgia, I, I think, is where I'll go. I think Florida has the chance to, to maybe put up a couple scores and maybe they'll make it close in, like, the second or third quarter. But I, I do think Georgia eventually pulls away. Um, and then in terms of the impact for the rest of the year, you know, obviously this is not – one where like the team itself is going to go in just expecting a loss. They're obviously going to try their hardest to win this game and an upset would be massive for the program and just the momentum of where Napier would want to take this team. But, you know, looking at it, uh, I I think the mission was simple was, you know, try and keep this one competitive and try and book in the, the, this matchup with wins at South Carolina at home to Arkansas. Uh, They've already done one half of that, beating South Carolina. Um, I think being able to at least keep this game close and competitive would be a huge step in the right direction for Florida, just trying to close the gap that Kirby Smart has created um, and then trying to just carry momentum because then, you know, the team is still 5-3, and three, which I would say is kind of ahead of schedule of even where some people predicted this team of going, where a lot some people even said this team would not make a bowl game and then, you know, if they beat Arkansas next week or the week after, I mean, then, you know, they'll be six and three and that's still a great spot to be in. If you're this Gators team that was supposed to be rebuilding. Yeah, I think, I think I completely agree with you. And I agree with you so much that my actual score prediction is 32 to 17. So we're, <laughs> we're, awesome. we're, we're right there <laughs> with each other, uh, which is perfect. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty right. And even how we think this game is going to go, I think George is going to ultimately take it. But I also think that Florida's still going to put up a fight, and and they're going to yeah. find Ricky Pierce all the ball. And I think, you know, uh, Georgia's run run defense, as it showed against, uh, as it showed against Ray Davis, is still stout. I still think that that Florida's running game may not be able to get all the way going, um, just because Georgia just has done that so well for so many years, and it, it just feels like that's just always going to be their identity. But, you know, I I really do think that even despite a possible loss for Florida, they're going bowling. And I think I, I, I feel like an Arkansas win is in the near vicinity. And, you know, I know you guys got another opponent that, you know, another non-conference that shouldn't be too, too bad for you guys down the road. And so I think, I think Florida definitely overachieved expectations of what they could have been this year. And either way, I still think this will be a successful season for Florida, even if it wasn't, you know, mind blowingly amazing, but still a solid year for Florida. And, but either way, I, I'm really excited for this game this Saturday because I think there's gonna I think there's gonna be some fireworks. I think it's gonna be a lot closer than other ones have been, and should be a fun one either way. Oh yeah, I agree. I mean, the rivalry is always really special, you know, every single year, and so you know, I'm I'm super excited for it. I'm pumped for it, and you know, if Florida can keep it competitive, then that'll just make it even better. So, you know, can't wait. Oh yeah, and I'll be right there in the stadium. I'll be I'll be in Jacksonville, and you know, that'll be a fun one. So. 
We'll have we'll have to see. And as much as I would love for it to be like in the swamp or or in Athens, I'm still excited to to you know be a part of the the historic site of Jacksonville. Even oh, though, yeah. goodness gracious, uh, the the screaming uh, Florida or Georgia fans in the swamp or in Sanford would just be the icing on the cake of this game. It'd be crazy. It'd be it would be something else. <laughs> Well, maybe maybe one day once we're uh, once once we're long and graduated. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Give it maybe four or five years from now. Oh yeah. Well, either way, Jackson, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Let's close it out here. Where can they find you? Where can they find your stuff? Of course. Again, thank you for having me. And uh, you, know, you can find my work. You know, follow me on on X or, or Twitter, whatever it's called. Uh, at uh, J A C K S N R E Y E S is my handle. Uh, and then you can also check my workout at alligator.org and alligator sports on social media. So that's where you can find my work. And, you know, again, thank you for having me, you know, pleasure previewing the matchup. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it'd be a, a travesty if I didn't pitch out the fact that if you were, uh, if you're in the Athens or, uh, or in the Florida area or anywhere like that, where you can pick up an edition of the red and black and alligator uh, rivalry edition that we worked on together. Uh, you, oh, yeah. We got a story, we got a story from each of us in that bad boy. Um, so a great conclusion that both of our papers love to do, but ultimately this podcast was just me and you buddy. And it was, it was a great time. So thank you so much for joining me. Oh yeah, of course. Thank you for having me.